Global Broadcasting Networks presents Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, military moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we're visiting today with Dr. Kevin Hull, and we don't get a lot of time with him, and his time is very valuable, so I want to make every second count, Rob, Um, (laughs) and I think this is such, you know, it's so rare to have a specialist on, um, especially for the military families like this, so I want to get right to it and have uh, Dr. Hull introduce himself, give his background, and then we'll get right into the content. Dr. Hull, welcome. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sandra, and hi to you, Robin. Hi there. I am glad you're here. Very, thank you. I'm very happy to be a part of the show. I um, have a private counseling practice in Lakeland, Florida, and I work primarily with children, adolescents, and families who have um, struggles with neurodevelopmental disorders like autism, learning disabilities, and uh, things like that. And I've had the privilege of working with these um, young people and their families uh, for over 15 years. And I'm also a professor and an author. So um, particularly in the field of counseling and working with children and adolescents and young adults uh, with autism. Um, It's given me uh, great experiences, and I come across parents all the time who are just a little bit lost, a little bit scared, a little bit frustrated. And so I always relish the opportunity to be able to give some guidance and calm their fears and leave them with some tools and strategies to help with those difficult situations. Well, and I'm going to jump in here and say, you know, little fears, how about great fears, big fears? Like, you know, Dr. Hull, you're a parent um, as well. You have two uh, two girls, right? Two girls or three girls? Yes, two girls. Two girls. So you understand the, the just the general fears that come with parenting and raising kids. Um, and, you know, and here's one of the things that I see, especially in California. And, Rob, you can probably talk about what's going over in New Hampshire. But mm-hmm. there are kids with issues that may or may not be classified. They may not be classified by the school system or their parents may or may not have the means to go get them classified. So they're not necessarily technically on the spectrum or technically in these things, but you can definitely see some of these trends and behaviors. So when I invited you on the show, Dr. Hull, it was not only to talk about, you know, kids that have like diagnosed issues, but also in the general public, we've got some kids that are maybe on the bubble or, um, aren't like I hate to use the word classified but that's what we do in this country um and so there's parents that look at their kids and go well I suspect something or I I think something's up so we're going to address all of those kind of whether your kid is classified or not Rob do you have that same issue in New Hampshire we do and I think so often um 
there's that societal pressure that, oh, well, my kid should be doing this and, and he will be and he's just having a bad day. And, oh, I know he wasn't able to cope with that situation, but I'm just going to take care of him at home. He just needs a little rest. And that denial, I think, to even uh, begin to think well, there is a difference and it doesn't have to, uh, I, I think so many times our society is implying that a difference is a negative thing instead of a difference being just uh, an alternative way to bring education or, or uh, even coping skills. Not everybody can cope in the same way. And Dr. Kevin, I think you must have to deal with that initial uh, sort of breaking the ice and being able to say, this is not a negative thing. This is a positive thing that we're going to just take a different path to get to the same result. Very true, because my overall goal is to leave the parent feeling empowered and to get rid of the fear. And so I use a number of strategies right off the bat from using characters from history through uh, I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies and listen to a lot of podcasts of interviews of interesting, dynamic, outside-the-box people um, who often were, in their younger years, met with a lot of resistance from traditional school programs and systems and Somewhere along the way, either a parent or a teacher or someone saw their unique ability to learn and um, just help them along the way. But what makes me sad is how many dynamic, great people have been missed because they weren't given the option to be different. And um, a lot of times, especially in lower socioeconomic situations, there's not the services provided for them. So um, the first step is to always um, give the parent um, some encouragement and help them break through that resistance because, like you said, they're often grieving. They know something's wrong, um, but they often feel like if they admit something's wrong, then they'll either enable uh, something bad to happen or uh, they'll... Um, not push their child hard enough, and we all feel that as parents. Where's the line between um, pushing them, encouraging them, but not crushing their spirit? And so it's a it's a big task to well, and the um, labeling, uh, Doctor Hall. Yeah. Like I look, you know, you know, you're my cousin. I'm just going to be upfront to everybody. I'm super proud of you, and I'm super <laughs> well, proud. Well, thank of you. Well, because, you know, when we were little, like especially my youngest brother, you know, he was classified for the state of New York as being retarded. And I mean, that's what they called it in those days. I know it's not PC to use that word, but his IQ was so low. Well, he's a NASA rocket scientist today and he flies to Austria and Germany and he's doing all these great things. And I was considered scatterbrained. I mean, that's all I ever heard, like till sixth grade. Well, she's scatterbrained. She's scatterbrained. She can't focus. She can't blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm successful today. Doug is successful. You're successful. It might have taken different tools and different like for me I needed to work in absolute silence which is why I work from home in a little box but it doesn't mean I can't produce exactly and that's a great point you know the years and years ago um, many people have heard of the Montessori schools um, 
the Montessori began because um, she believed that every child learns in a different way and needs an approach that's tailored to that way that the child learns. And so it's, it's very different from what we do here in the United States where we tend to make one system and then jam everyone into it. A real positive of living in today's times is that there's a lot of school options um, from home homeschooling co-ops to Montessori schools to smaller um, group-based um, education schools, and and that's that's one of the encouraging things. Um, whereas you know your brother years and years ago, thankfully he had strong, intelligent parents, um, but uh, that. That is part of the problem for these kids. And you mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, the ones who aren't actually fitting into a category, they don't actually meet the criteria for all of the autism um, spectrum uh, criteria, but they have traits. They have these things that that just trip them up. And um, I work with a lot of those uh, young people, and I help. I always connect with the school, and I get the parents to connect with the school to just help the school understand the differences that, that the child has. But um, that seems to be a big problem is um, the, the kids that fall kind of between the cracks. Mm. Dr. Kevin, we've got three minutes before the break. Do you, do you find okay. that the public schools, and I know it varies from SAU to SAU, I know it varies from state to state, but do you find that there is more, uh, there are more resources for identifying various learning styles that were probably just never recognized in years past in, in the, in the school systems? Yes, yes, I do. And I take great hope in that, that the, um, with patience and understanding and people who have dedicated their lives to understanding what makes, you know, this kid who can't do traditional math, but he can look at a, a lawnmower and take it apart and put it back together, yet, mm-hmm. you know, he may not do well in school, but yet that's a genius sitting there. That is a some form of intelligence. And so what? how can we make that? Um, extrapolate that to other areas to help this this child instead of him getting discouraged and feeling strange and and so there's people out there that are just really innovative in learning strategies and and that's one of the things that I direct parents to is to research those outside the box alternative education approaches to fit their child's style. And I think parents do, uh, if they are realizing that um, the kids are are not being successful in school, that they do need to be advocates. I remember my daughter; she's a very, very bright girl. Like like Sandra was saying, Doug was a very bright boy. Um, but it takes us to be able to be their advocate and say, mm-hmm. "I need to have something changed." And maybe it's it is a five or four plan. Maybe it is uh, an IEP. But we need to to sort of be the advocate in whatever our school will provide. And if not, then we need to look elsewhere. And sometimes that's what the difficulty is, is that um, where do we go from there if our school isn't behind us? Um, We've got a break coming up, Kevin. So on the other side of the break, we're going to 
continue this conversation. We're talking today with Dr. Kevin Hall, a licensed counselor, uh, and we are talking not only about children and adolescents, but certainly adults. Adults may have never been diagnosed as young people and have struggled, and now they're saying, okay, why can't I hold this job down? Why can't I seem to uh, get it when I've gone through three training sessions and I'm still having trouble? We've got lots more to talk about, so do stay with us here on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio. The League of Women Voters reminds you that on Election Day, we are all equal. Please join your friends and neighbors by registering to vote and going to the polls November 8th. Visit www.vote411.org to find out who will be on your ballot and how the voting process works in your community. This election is about our future, and we all need to weigh in. It's marching summertime and you know what that means attack of the mosquitoes other names for the mosquito are galley nipper katie nipper gabber and jelly whopper a quote from the 1906 book the parsons boys asserts that galley nippers are so called because at each nip they took a gallon mitzi is a deceptively cute shortening of mosquito that might be heard in ohio If you're in Virginia and hear someone complaining about cousins, they might have annoying relatives, or they might just be talking about mosquitoes. Why do they call mosquitoes cousins? Because there are so many and they stick so close. But whatever you call them, all this begs the question, why didn't Noah swat those two mosquitoes? It's marching down. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sam Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we're visiting today with Dr. Kevin Hull. And I wanted to share with you guys an experience. One of my friends, um, while her husband was on deployment, she sustained a a terrible injury. And as a result, I had her child um, for three months at a stint uh, when he was in fifth and sixth grade. And this kid had some issues. He was classified on the spectrum, but just a broad classification, nothing really really specific and one of the things that I found was some pushback um the school district would nod their head and say yes 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 we'll do it okay we've got this plan all right all is good but I had a pushback from a couple of the teachers and these teachers were were seasoned professionals you know 30 year teacher of the year blah 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 but they tended to classify this little guy as you know, either a good learner or a poor learner. And this kid could recite, like if you asked him about the Arizona Memorial, he could tell you every ship that sunk, he could tell the ballast weight, he could tell you, you know, how many servicemen and women died on that vessel and where it was on a map. I mean, this kid was amazing, but he couldn't sit in a chair um, and sustain, you know, the 45 minute lecture without getting up, walking around, you know, twitching, doing a couple things. And so when you have pushback like you could look at this kid you could talk to this kid and go okay there's something going on here and to be fair 
a lot of these school districts are underfunded. The teachers are overworked. Their classroom size, like we have sometimes 36 kids in a classroom, they're busting at the seams. So I'm not here to criticize the teacher or the school district or the child, but we can't just say, oh, well, that's the way it is. You've got a kid with these things. And when we talk to, and, you know, Robin, you were, have a teaching background, and Kevin, you talked about talking with school districts and teachers. There's got to be some something that we can do to help parents like I was stuck kind of in the middle of this, this weird matrix. So I'm going to go to Dr. Hull first. And how do you talk to a school district or a teacher that's that's overwhelmed, too many students, and then you've got this kid, your kid, that needs more or needs something different? Like, where do you even begin? And then we're going to go to Rob to talk about her experience as a teacher. Well, thank you. The the first place to start is uh, before um, the school year even begins, once, once the teacher has been assigned. Now, this isn't always possible because I know sometimes families are moving in the middle of the year or they're, um, you know, they're just barely getting in under the deadline to, before school starts. But if at all possible, connect with the teacher um, and involves the guidance counselor, the school counselor. Um, I know every state is different with those, but that school counselor or guidance counselor should be someone who understands the differences of children, whether it be a neurodevelopmental issue or a learning disability or something like that, um, because having an advocate with the parent to talk to the teacher is going to be helpful. And the point of this meeting is just to say, here are some differences of my child. Um, this is some, these are some things that we've either had documented or this is something that we're noticing. I'm just wanting to make you aware. But also with the, um, with the challenges of the child always include the strengths include um, what makes them special, uh, you know, because you, you don't want to go in. A lot of parents sometimes they're so afraid that they, they want their child accepted, so they go in and they all they share is the negative um, or the things that they're afraid might happen. Um, and I find that that kind of sets the, the teacher up to be wary or afraid, and we want a good bond. So that's the first step. And then... From there, it's a process of seeing how it goes. You know, how is your child emotionally at the end of the day? Um, I often encourage parents to go in and observe in younger, with younger elementary school children just to kind of be a fly on the wall, pop in, um, not to spy on a teacher or make them feel paranoid, but just to see um, how their child is doing. And again, accessing the help of the guidance counselor or the the school counselor in that process. But then if things are not going well, then the parent should call a meeting of, ask a meeting for the teacher, an administrator, the school guidance counselor to say, these are some of the problems that we're having. Um, and this is where a lot of parents feel dismissed. They feel ignored. They feel rejected. Um, and so, um, what helps in those situations is to have some testing done. Now, some school districts will provide the testing. Some of them won't. Um, but specific testing can show 
a deficiency in, say, verbal processing or, um, you know, a lot of children, especially on the autism spectrum, uh, their auditory processing is, is very low. They learn visually. Well, a lot of our classrooms are set up for auditory learners. Um, and so that can be one of the main issues that the child has. I think so many times it's difficult to, because a parent doesn't know um, what's going on in school, and it is important to have those conferences. It is important to put the, I, I know that sometimes teachers will have a little journal that goes back and forth in the backpack. And today, uh, you know, we, we needed to uh, have a, a timeout or whatever uh, to another timeout today. Or, And when you start to realize that there, the, the, these notes are however the communication is between the teacher and, and the uh, parent, it's important to not be intimidated and to be able to say, can we set up a meeting? I, and that's very difficult because when you have working parents, um, and especially somebody who may might be an hourly worker who's not able to get away without um, compromising their income, uh, that, that can be very difficult. But it's, it's very important to have that communication and to be able to pick up the phone and be able to talk to the guidance counselor and say, I need some information. I need some input. Kevin, well, do you find, oh. like, like, like Rob, I just want to jump in there. Yeah. You know, we didn't find out I had a problem. I mean, we knew I had lots of problems paying attention and focusing like that was a given, yeah. but it was in my like 11th grade in high school. And I told my chemistry teacher, he said, why are you making that face, Miss Beck? Why are you making that face? And I just, I wasn't meaning to be sassy, but I just said, oh, I wish you would stop talking so I could concentrate. And he looked at me and then he talked to me after. And I said, yeah, I said, I really try to block you out and read the, the chemistry book because I could look at it and I could be quiet and I could learn anything. But the minute he started talking, I lost it all. And I couldn't focus on whether it was the kid chewing gum next to me. The other kid ripped his paper with his eraser. Like all of that got jumbled up in my head. If you left me alone and I could be quiet and I think working with talking with your kid on what works at some level also has to be in the matrix, not just the teacher, yeah. or the guidance counselor, and all these things, but the kid too. And I think it does come into play where, yes, like, like Dr. Kevin said, we, sometimes we might need some screening and it isn't meaning to find something wrong. It's just meaning to find what that learning process is. Emily is a very, my daughter, a very bright girl. She was a very smart child and I'm so, it sounds like, you know, the bragging parent, but what she could not do was, was, uh, absorb multiple directives. So if you were given uh, a directive, yeah. a B and C, she got a, she might've got part B, but of course the magic C was dropped off. And of course she didn't complete, uh, the answers and therefore was getting very, very poor grades. So we set up a 504 yeah. plan for her to be able to test down in the resource room so that she was able to have at least a little verbal prompt and that little give and then of course she was able to then break down the directives so that she could answer them and certainly she was able to shine 
Hey, yeah, Kevin, what are some sounds like you hear? Like when you're listening to kids, so parents can hear, like they heard Rob talk about, you know, what, what Emily had and you heard what like me and Doug had, um, some complaints that we had, like, stop talking. I can't focus. Um, <laughs> there's some right. other things. Well, but these are, these are real indicators of what the kid needs. And you have to hear this, talking to the kids. What are some things that you hear that maybe our parents listening today can go, oh, I heard my son or daughter say that. That's a clue. Well, one area, um, a lot of the kids that I work with, it's an issue of them feeling safe. When they don't feel safe, they become reactive or they shut down. And... Um, one of the biggest complaints I hear is that during the transition, like walking from class to class or going from the classroom to lunch, going from the classroom to PE or back from PE, is when um, a lot of things happen. Either uh, there's a commotion or uh, it's it's chaotic or something like that. And a lot of times when the kids that I work with have gotten in trouble in school, it's because they lashed out and um, uh, because something happened. They got pushed. They got shoved. They So these transition times are difficult for these children who rely on the environment to be predictable and stable and safe with good routine, with good structure. And so when I talk to teachers, um, I help them with classroom management, and one of the areas that we focus on is, you know, maybe grabbing an extra para-professional or, but just being mindful of that that transition time can be a time where it feels chaotic to some kids. Um, The other, I hear all kinds, but one other one that comes to mind is the noise level in the room. Um, that, you know, because a lot of children are sensitive to sounds, lights, um, sensory type uh, things. And a lot of the kids I work with are almost traumatized because lunch, the lunchroom is so loud. And I don't know if you've ever, when your kids were younger, you (laughs) went and had lunch with them. And I remember coming out of my daughter's elementary school and just like taking deep breaths, like, wow, that was crazy, you know? Yes. And so um, those are just a few of the things. The individual teacher complaints that I get sometimes is um, the, the child feels like the teacher isn't patient or doesn't understand them, um, things like that. But those are things to mm. listen for because if your child doesn't feel safe, they cannot learn. Very true, and um, so oftentimes too, the, the even uh, every generation has experienced. I don't feel good. I don't want to go to school. I I don't want to go. I don't I don't want to go. The tears, the crying. There's something more than just a stomach ache. Sometimes there's something more, and it could be uh, an interaction with children, but it also is that feeling of I just can't cope. So um, we're talking with Dr. Kevin Hall today. We're going to be back right after this, right here on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio.
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. It's Did you know that many prospective college students work under the management of handlers? A tutor helps with SAT preparation, while a consultant concocts the perfect resume to present to colleges. They say the closest people ever come to perfection is on their resume. But college admission staffs aren't so bubbleable. That means gullible when it comes to sorting out students' qualifications. What's another word for a person with enough education to go to college? A tancum. The graduation cap was initially a hood and is believed to date back to the Celtic times when druid priests wore capes and hoods to symbolize their intelligence. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Robin Boyd, and we are visiting with Dr. Kevin Hall. And one of the things that happens in the military families is we have a lot of transitions. You know, when my friend and her husband was, my friend was injured and her husband was deployed, so I had their uh, fifth grader for three months. And you know, this kid had been gone from the Japanese, from the American school system to the Japanese school system, from the Japanese school system back to the American school system, then into my household without either parent, especially his mom. She was, you know, injured in Australia. Then she had to come here and be hospitalized and dad had to work. So this is a very real scenario for some of our military kids. And on a good day, transitioning schools, transitioning countries, transitioning households, transitioning parenting, one parent, two parents, grandparents, um, all these transitions are very normal existences for our military kids. But when you take it, a kid on the spectrum or kid with some challenges or issues, it can just go bananas really quickly. So I'd like to go to Dr. Kevin Hull to talk about some best practices with transitions, both for kids on the spectrum or off the spectrum. Um, and then for parents, because the, I think transitions is one of the hardest things that military families have to attend to as part of their normal. Dr. Hull. Absolutely. And um, what's been proven is that a child who transitions well, meaning that um, they, they remain mentally, emotionally intact, uh, they tend to develop better coping later on in life. And so 
um, you'll often hear an adult talk about how terrifying and traumatic it was uh, when they moved as a kid, and that still bothers them. So um, with younger children, one of the best things to do is to prepare them that the move is coming. And I know this isn't always possible. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, you may only have a week. But the language of children is play. And what I instruct parents to do who are in this situation is to get some toys out. Um, if it's a, a boy or girl, they love Legos. Grab some Lego minifigures. Um, grab some stuffed animals, some puppets, and play out the scenario of um, two or three of the stuffed animals are going to be moving away, and th- and this other one, um, you know, two or three, uh, have one that represents the child that the child can pretend that that's them, and then play out the scenario of packing up, moving going to a new school, and involving the child in the play process using the Lego minifigures or the stuffed animals or the puppets um, can help the child go through the experience but at a safe distance. And I even instruct parents to use play like this to explain um, something new that's coming up, um, for instance, a, a new way of handling Uh, discipline, to play it out, a new way of going to a new school, um, adjusting to a new routine, uh, because we forget that children deal with the world around them through play. I have one parent who um, she plays with her son on Minecraft, and she has found a way to make Minecraft a metaphor for everything from, you know, when when um, her ex-husband, dad, doesn't, uh, you know, at the last minute he cancels and doesn't come and pick up uh, the son, and he's disappointed. They they get the Minecraft out, and they go into a Minecraft world, and they play out these themes. And so with younger children, that is one way um, to give them a chance to go through it in a safe way and also acclimate their brain to the process. Um, With adolescents, what we have to remember is that the brain is going through so many transitions during adolescence that they lose the ability to take perspective. And what that means is they lose the ability to see a situation from another vantage point. So a teenager will react emotionally because they're looking at a situation simply one way. So what helps is when the parent presents it from a lot of different views. For instance, if it's, you know, um, one of the parents has got their deployment orders and and we have to go, Uh, connecting the dots between there's a governing agency, there is a hierarchy of authority, and we are in that process, and so therefore we are moving. That helps the teenager rather than just simply blame the parent um, you're helping helping to broaden the perspective because their brains naturally go to just one outcome, and it's a black or white, good or bad. Um, they they lose the ability to um, see things from that other vantage point. So that can be helpful 
Um, and then I have something that I uh, teach parents called providing a cushion. Um, <clears throat> when the transition happens, being mindful that it's going to take an emotional toll on everyone. And so giving some grace with maybe letting them have a little extra TV time, a little extra tablet time, um, giving them a little bit of more attention, um, building that in as this process happens, that helps create a cushion, if at all possible. Um, with adolescents also, starting a new school can be pretty tough because they're at a stage in development where they they feel insecure. Um, they're building their identity, so there's a lot of uh, problems with self-worth. And so a parent who checks in on them, who is supportive of the process, um, helps them ease that transition into that new school. So those are just a few ways. I love the, the, the play aspect of it and giving this preparation ahead of time, uh, Kevin. And I'm thinking as you're describing this, what you're doing is you're allowing the child to have control over his feelings. And I think that's the one time when children lash out is when they start to feel vulnerable and out of control is that they don't know how to kind of pull back and, and have any control in what's happening to them. And this play activity, this um, uh, play action is giving them the ability to have control in the scenario. That's beautiful. Very true. Sandra, Art. yeah. I was going to say art is another way, drawing things out, um, mm -hmm. clay, building things. Um, it's just a way to release the emotions. Well, and I just want to jump in here because we talked about transitioning, you know, with deployments and moves and family structure changes. And the military has such a high rate of divorce. I myself am divorced. And, I, you know, one of the transitions that we have trouble with in our household, and I bet everybody else does too, who has preteens and teens is this transition of every other weekend going to dads like that usually results Kevin in our household kind of like a lot of anxiety fighting between the kids before they go then they yes. go come back yep. and they're just monsters like they turn into the biggest monsters for about three or four hours until they're fed and they get settled. And I've been I've been working this transition in divorce for eight years now, and it's it's not better or worse. It's just different as they grow. So I need some help, and I'm sure every other divorced parent out there needs it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, a lot of times, you know, parents will who don't understand will think that there's something wrong with the child. And what I tell parents is. Your child is actually normal for reacting this way because if we could transport ourselves into their brain and body, you would feel the most immense stress uh, that you can imagine. And even most adults would have a hard time channeling that and dealing with it. So, um, again, one of the things that I teach parents is to play out for younger kids, playing out the process because they'll they'll often say, I've had them in my office even on, on a Friday afternoon, and they're, they're just something's wrong, and I'll say, hey, what's going on today? And they'll say, well, I got to go to dad's this weekend, you know, and I'm, and so 
I'll grab the stuffed animals and I'll grab the Lego minifigures or whatever and I'll say, hey, let's, let's play out what might happen. Well, my, my stepmom yelled at me last time I was there and she called me a slob. And so I said, okay, let's, let's play this out. All right, pick one that's her. You be her and I'll be you and let's see what happens. And by doing that, you're handing the kid the control of let's see what happens. And it's amazing how even though it doesn't magically get rid of everything, it's a release for that moment. And they can feel some of that pressure dissipate. Um, and then one of the things that I teach parents to do is, is after when, when you transition them, uh, here's the problem with a lot of the transition of divorced parents. They pick up the kid and they go straight to either, like, let's say dad's picking them up. He picks them up. They're in a hurry. They go straight to his house. He, he, you know, they get all the backpacks out and everything. And then it's like, okay, now we're doing this, you know. Um, or, you know, mom picks them up and they've got all this stuff planned. Um, what, I, what I try to get them to see is that, Rather than doing that, build in some just downtime. For instance, before going straight home, um, stop off at a park and just run around or have something else that is no stress, that is laid back. Uh, oh, I know that can't always happen because we all have schedules and things like that, but um, that is a great way to just, ease that transition to and from because what it is it's a fear of i don't know what's going to happen and i'm afraid and that's what the child is thinking and feeling that is an amazing perspective and it's something it that's simple that you don't think about until you really say it out loud like you just did and said oh yeah of course let's just build that uh, detox time in so that right. we're able to get rid of that energy able to be able to just transition into back into another environment we're with Dr. Kevin Hall today we want to direct you to some of his books one of which is play therapy and Asperger's syndrome and I have a feeling that play therapy would be good for anybody adult child uh, spectrum no spectrum those uh, those are something that we all need sometimes and we'll be back with Dr. Kevin right after these messages on military mom talk radio We'd love to hear from you. Check us out at MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Our shows are available on iTunes anytime from 0 hundred hours to 23.59. For now, stay right where you are. There's more Military Mom Talk Radio after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. 
To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. It's words you never heard. It's well known in medical practices that patients tend to lie about their health habits. They lie about how much they smoke, understate how much they drink or eat, and overstate how much they exercise. What's another word for those little white lies we like to tell in the examination room? Teradiddles. Doctors have a rule of thumb. Whatever the patient says they're drinking, smoking, or eating, multiply it by two. But it's hard to come clean about your habits when you know you're in for some jobation from the doctor. That's criticism we don't want to hear. If physicians want us to be honest with them, I suggest they try being a little less judgmental and use a little suaviloquence. That's soothing, encouraging talk. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, Military Moms, this is Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd, and we are here with Dr. Kevin Hull, and we're talking about transitioning, specifically kids on or off the classified spectrum uh, that have trouble transitioning. I have trouble transitioning. I'm not a good transitioner. I have a lot of anxiety and frustration. I try to over-control things, so I get it. And when kids have to go back and forth between households, and that can happen because of a deployment, because of a divorce, because of any number of reasons to the military family. But there's some trends that I see that I can share with having, you know, deployment kids in my household, having my own kids go through a divorce. There's that transition period before and after the change occurs, whether they're going to mom or dad's house or grandpa's house or or aftercare or whatever. There's that time period where they just go bananas. And I've experienced it. I think every parent has experienced it. And this is not even a reflection on the other parent, even going to a happy other parent's household. You know, this was the funny thing, Dr. Kevin, is like my kids still had a blowout going to grandma and grandpa or aunts and uncles on both sides of the family that they love. So it's not always that the other parent or the other family is the bad person or bad things happen. It's it's the kid has got to adjust to something that they can't control. And I call it potty mouth. They go like potty mouth bananas, um, especially (laughs) after the transition. So I'd like some rules of engagement from you that parents like me could do, especially single parents that have to play mom and dad roles at certain times. What can we do to help those little ticking time bombs that come and go? Well, the first thing is to be prepared and um, offer the child, it, when possible, help them know what's coming. So creating a schedule, um, letting them know three or four days ahead of time um, that we're going to be going to grandma's right after school. Um, you know, as early as possible to let them know that and then reminding them of that especially as they get older, between the ages of 10 and 13, you know, we often expect, well, you're older now. You should be able to adjust to the world like I do and fly by the seat of your pants. Well, they're actually resisting that because they're more grounded than most adults sometimes. So 
by by being uh, creating a schedule, by being prepared, and and giving them the information beforehand can help with a lot of the emotional backlash. Um, and and then from there, um, you can use a system of rewards. You can, um, you know, and I'm cautious to when I say the word reward, because I don't mean um, giving them money, but knowing how your kid ticks, what motivates them, um, you know, and and kind of having them join you as an ally in the activity, for instance, saying, you know, we're, it's a little bit out of the routine, but remember we're going to grandma's tonight uh, right after school. We're going to be there for dinner. Um I know you don't want to go because you'd rather be playing with your friends, but you know if if I see a good attitude, if you if you um, you know help me out with this, and um, I'm willing to do something for you. Well, what what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me? Well, let's talk about that. You know, and um, not bribing your kid and not um, manipulating them, but especially for single parents and especially single moms raising boys, creating that idea of we're allies together in this, that I'm not leaning on you for emotional support, but in caring for you, I need a little bit help from you as well. We're, this is like a ship, and we all got to work together. Um, and then when the, when the child sees that, hey, mom noticed that I didn't complain, mom noticed that, I helped out a little bit and I actually enjoyed being at grandma's and it wasn't so bad. And then, you know, they get a special day, um, with mom or they, they get a special activity, a special outing or something like that. Um, just that the parent noticed can go a long way and, and using that system then, um, also helps the child understand the team concept of family some of us as parents were such good parents that we're managers. You know, all we do is manage. We get them dressed, we keep them alive, we get them fed, we get them to and from and all that. But we don't have relationship with them, and they see us as just kind of like the equipment manager of the baseball team. And and we don't want that. We want a connection. And so, by scheduling time creating a sense of, hey, we're together in this, um, you move past this management piece to where there's there's relationship and connection and working together. And therefore opening up a door for conversation because I think when they feel managed, when they feel um, pushed from one scenario to the next, they're not going to open up their mouth and say anything even if it's just bothering the heck out of them and it's going to fester. Once it festers, then that's when it explodes in that negative behavior that, of course, then becomes a punishment but they got yes. the attention. <laughs> and in and nearly think... 20 years of working with kids of divorce, because before I went into private practice, I worked with foster care and um, in community mental health. And in almost 20 years of doing that, what I consistently hear from young adults who went through it from the, some of them as early as three years old, what helped them the most 
was knowing exactly what to expect when I went to dads or when I went to moms. When, when there were situations that were murky where, you know, one minute dad's just laying on the couch and we could do whatever, but then the next minute he yelled at us to clean his house the whole weekend or, you know, mom, we never knew what we, when we were going to eat or, or, or where we were going on Saturday or, you know, that chaotic thing is, is the thing that really um, makes them feel not safe. And so just by simply having an organized routine, structure, scheduling, helps the children so much. Well, I just want to add something here. You know, Kev, when you were talking, it reminded me of jobs I've had in my past. And I wouldn't mind going to work. In fact, I liked going to work when I knew what my boss expected of me. I knew what I needed to do. And yeah, I still might have been overwhelmed at the workload or things come up, but I knew what to expect. The jobs that yeah. I hate the most like you know those ulcer ones where you come in and you don't know if you're going to get yelled <laughs> right. don't know what they're going to ask you to do and it's just awful so is that like the same feeling you know we have going to kind of a unstructured crazy ass job versus going yes. over to another environment is that is that fair that's the exact metaphor that i use for parents um for both children in, of divorce who are in situations that are chaotic and who are at school where they don't feel safe, I say, imagine the worst job you've ever had. Now you have to do it for 18 years and you cannot quit and there's no, there, there's, there's no way out. Um, and parents go, oh my gosh, you know, and that's how kids feel. And I'm such an advocate of building relationships. I'm, I'm such an advocate that not being your kid's buddy or, or best friend, but being an ally in the journey of development and that they can look back and go, wow, my, my dad was there when I needed him. My mom was there when I needed, that needed her. And they were organized and they, they, they moved their movements were purposeful and intentional to connect with me. Um, you know, you, you can, a robot could raise our children, but we don't want to be robots. You know, that's, that's not the point. Um, healthy, well-adjusted adults are people who, you know, have had somewhere in their childhood, they had either a teacher, a youth pastor, uh, hopefully a parent that, was an ally and an advocate for them. Well, and one of our guests, and maybe it was you on an earlier show, I can't remember, told me, you know, in, especially in an ugly divorce situation or a foster care situation, you know, kids learn things that other kids learn when they're older or maybe as an adult. So, you know, these things can be valuable to them, you know, because it's painful to watch. It's tough and painful to watch. But I have yes. one question for you. You know, when... Your kid turns from, like, I love you, Mom, you're the best, you got my back, Mom, to, like, the 13-year-old eye-rolling, you're stupid. Um, yes. When you're in a divorce situation, it feels almost, like, even worse. I don't know because I don't know what it feels like not to be divorced. But, you know, there's a change that happens in teenagers. And is that normal, like, for 
you know, like, how do you know what you're doing is right if you're doing the same things and your kid turns? Is that just teenagers? We just have a couple of minutes, so it's going to be a quick one. Yes, I know. It, it will be quick. It, it's a brain thing. It's the child, the, the adolescent, adolescent is at a place of insecurity. They're unsure of themselves, but they want so much to be the expert and to be in control. So what they approach the parent with is that dismissive attitude because for them, it's scary to say, I don't know, I really need you. And so that's why good parents blast through that wall and they check in. They, you know, even though the 15-year-old has their door shut, they knock on the door, they say, hey, I'm coming in, let's talk a little bit. If you don't want to talk, that's fine, but I'm checking on you. That gives the child deep down a sense of security, just like clear boundaries, clear expectations, clear consequences. But be prepared, especially you single moms out there raising boys. You're going to go through this little period. It's like when the the space, the, the Apollo missions, they lost contact with mission control for about three minutes when they reentered the atmosphere. It's the same thing in the teenage years, but just stay strong, don't react, and just be consistent. And I think sometimes just knowing that you're there is deep down, they know they're comforted. They um, will eventually come around. I can attest to that. They will. (laughs) They will come around. Dr. Kevin Hall, thank you so much for being with us today. If anybody wants more information or to find more about uh, the books that he has published, go to Dr. and it's Dr. Kevin Hall, H-U-L-L dot com. We'll be back again soon on Military Mom Talk Radio. Take care, everyone. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to Military Mom Talk Radio. Want more information? Check us out at MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com or find us on iTunes for more than 200 free episodes. Drop us an email or find us on Facebook. We are looking forward to another great discussion. We hope you'll join us on Military Mom 